0: much harder to get up this time. Well, I'm sure I'm not alone, possibly. Early in our marriage, Natalie and I got duped. So we, we saw some advertisement, some sort of banner or something at a mall or something. I can't even remember where it was. I just remember we saw this thing that said, free pots and pans. At least that's what I remember it was. So I'm like, OK, cool, cool. Easy, there's, there's no catch, no catch. Free pots and pans, so we go over to the table, and they say all you have to do is attend this seminar. Uh, what do you think? Well, we need pots and pans, so OK. Yeah, Absolutely, Steve said it. It was a timeshare presentation. So we got duped, and we sat in this seminar for probably four hours of our day doing this to our eyes to keep our eyes open. We had to pretend, though, that we were interested because we didn't want them to think we were only there for the free pots and pans, even though probably 80% of the people there were also there for the free pots and pans. So, of course, we sat there and we went through the whole thing. And then at the end, they have you fill out the paperwork. And then, and then you go out to the thing and then all the, the swarms of salespersons go out there and they're harassing you. And trying to get you to buy 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 and buy a timeshare and of course we're young and broke and again we needed pots and pans and that was our only purpose so of course we left with this vague non-committed we'll think about it we'll think about it and of course you all know what happened next for weeks and weeks what happened phone calls phone calls phone calls And I'm so glad this happened 15 years ago, not today, because it'd be text messages and emails and phone calls and, you know, a phone call from a different number and, you know, so on. So we got duped. And of course, we didn't do anything wrong. I'm not, I don't feel any guilt about it. I just feel kind of silly and foolish, if you ask me. But we made this vague verbal commitment. And I think in times, we do that today, too, don't we? And I think it's a lesson for us, because we make these verbal commitments, and then Sometimes we have zero intention on following up. Other times maybe we have an intention, but it kind of slips our mind. So hopefully we're going to answer a question today. How do we turn these verbal commitments and do something actionable? That's what we're going to hopefully find out and dig out of this text today. So we're going to hopefully answer that question in our text from Exodus. We're in this section, as I told the kids a moment ago, of uh, what's generally called the, the Book of the Covenant. And it really covers from chapter 20 that we looked at last week all the way through chapter 24. And um, uh, 23, actually, I should say, 24 kind of acts almost as if this uh, confirmation of the covenant once again, and there's almost kind of an interlude that takes us into the next section, which we'll look at next week. So this morning we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 20, chapter uh, 20, verse 22, and we're going to take that all the way through 24. And again, if you look at this, and I did this, this very thing last week, I looked at this section and I'm like, man, this looks like it's a commentary on the Ten Commandments, because you look through this entire text and it's pulling things out that resembles a lot of what we talked about last week, but it expands it and makes it very specific to the people. So I made that mistake, not necessarily a mistake, but I made that observation last week. Um, But when you dig deeper into it, you'll kind of see that it's a little bit different. Um, And one of the things I think is important for us to remember is that these laws and these rules were for a specific people at a specific time and a specific location. So uh, right off the bat, just like I think we talked about this a little bit last week, right off the bat, it's like, okay, so what does this mean to us today? How does this apply to us today? And that's hopefully what we're going to look at and pull out from this. And and that's why there's very specific rules in here. I mean, there's things in here that don't apply to us, rules about slaves, rules about oxen. I don't know about you, but I don't own any oxen or slaves. So there's things in here that don't really seem to apply to us. So, But again, we, I think we, we should not ignore it. I think we should find out how this does apply to us, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So what we're going to do with that is we're going to pull out the primary themes that we see in it, and then we're going to pull out some applications towards the end of our time today. So with that said, I'm going to go right into our main idea. It's a long one, but you'll see why here in a moment. Our main idea today is we demonstrate how we are a people set apart by how we honor God, how we love others, and how we respect property. Honor God, love others, respect property. So th- this is a, a continuation, like I said, of, of what we saw last week. There's a little bit of a continuation. And uh, if, you, if you remember, and just like I told the kids a moment ago, the whole idea with that is to allow and help us to understand how we can be a people set apart for God. So that's what those Ten Commandments helped us to do. How are they going to be set apart as a holy nation? And that's what we'll see today as well. The main idea um, that we're going to look at that's here on the board, it, it is our framework, and that's how we're going to shape our entire sermon this morning. Um, so what we'll do is we'll see what these what these things say and how we can apply them to our lives today. So the first one, let's begin with the the most obvious, and that's to honor God. So the first one here, we have to start here, always has to start here. We saw this last year that one of the qualifiers for the Ten Commandments was the the fact that God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. He rescued them out of this boundary in Egypt, and and that's why, and that was one of the qualifiers for the law. He said, therefore, do not have other gods before me. So he, he set out to make them a people set apart, and these are, of course, guidelines that help us to understand how this is to be accomplished. So the first thing we see here that God does and helps us to understand how we're to honor him is through keeping the first two commandments. So that's the first thing we see here is that we're going to keep the first two commandments. If You you know, obviously the first commandment is no other gods before him. The second commandment is to make no idols. So we see here he immediately jumps right into that, and it follows the Ten Commandments, and it's not any coincidence that those first few verses right after the Ten Commandments and that first set of laws right after the Ten Commandments and the end of chapter 20, uh, 20 it doesn't, there's no shock there to me that, that he talks about altars and worship in that sense. So let's take a look at what it says there. Ver, uh, chapter 20, verses 22 to 23. It says here that the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, have you seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven? You shall not make any gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make any... uh, For yourselves, any gods of gold. So he immediately jumps on this and, and piggybacks on this idea and understanding that there are to be no other gods, there are to be no idols. So we have to remember that not only were they rescued from a land that had a people with many gods, but they were getting ready to enter a land that was also pagan, filled with many idols. So that's why this was so important. Later in ch- verse twenty, uh, chapter twenty-two, verse twenty, we read these words from God: Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. So He says that don't. It's not just a don't do it; it's a don't do it, or you will be handed over for destruction. This is one of those laws that is extremely important to God. These are laws, and this one here specifically followed two prior laws that led to death so we see this idea here how important this this law was to him and how important these other two laws um, that we'll discuss and touch on later so this leads us to an understanding of the second subpoint, and that's uh, the idea of proper worship so we can first honor God through not making any idols and following those first two commandments but the other thing we can do is we can follow God through the proper aspect and the proper ap- application of worship and we see that in the end of chapter 20. Uh, let's pick back up at 24. And an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice it on your burnt offerings and on your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for you will not wield your tool on it, and it or uh, you profane it. And you shall not go up on my steps that your nakedness may be exposed on it. So I think there's a couple of things. It's an interesting few verses. Um, so what we can learn from this, I think, number one, I think this altar. What the Lord's saying is this altar needs to be something that's created from His creation, right? So this idea of hewn stones, which is not something that we use today. These are 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 hand, man-made, man-built. They're usually decorative. They're very pretty, right? So this idea of I want you to use what I've provided, not these beautiful handmade. Right? Think about churches today. Oh, that's such a beautiful church. The stained glass, the temple, the exterior, everything's so pretty. And we get distracted by the pretty church. We get distracted by the pretty decor versus focusing in on, on who God is and why we're here. So I think that's the idea there. And the idea of, of kind of pulling the attention away from God. The second idea there is, is about purity, that, that really awkward last verse there about exposing the nakedness. That's about the purity uh, of of man. Later, we see that there was actually garments that were made for the priests, and that was to help with that purity. David Guzik, one of my favorite commentators, put it this way. He's like, the idea here is that there should be no flesh in the presence of worship and in the presence of God, that fleshly kind of attitude in the presence of God. And then next we see that we can honor God through honoring the Sabbath and the festivals. And obviously, this is very specific to the Jewish people. Verses uh, 12 through 17 of chapter 23, we read these words. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. And pay attention to all that you ha- that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods nor let it be heard on your lips three times in the year you shall keep the feast to me you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as i commanded you you shall eat unleavened bread for 7 days at the appointed time in the month of abib and for it for in it you shall come out of egypt none of you shall appear before me empty handed and you shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor Of what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather from it in the field of the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year you shall all your males appear before the Lord. So here he's talking again, obviously, of these these three uh, festivals and these feasts that he's going to require from them to keep. And he's talking about that Sabbath rest. And I think what's really interesting of that Sabbath rest at verse 12, there's not only an element of, of just remembering the Sabbath and keeping it aside as holy, but there's the idea of refreshment. So there's a reflection and a refreshment aspect to the Sabbath. And that, that refreshment was also for the, 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 the cattle as well as for the individual. And then uh, of these three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated along with the Passover, and it, and it marks the beginning of the barley harvest. Uh, the Feast of the Harvest, uh, known as the Feast of Weeks, would later be connected to the giving of the law. And that Feast of End Gathering, also known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, that celebrates the completion of the harvest year. And then later, it, it, it's going to be as a remembrance of their time in the wilderness when they're living in tents along their journey and all of these of course they point to a period of time and a place of remembrance so they can remember and honor the lord and that's the real purpose of these and it it helps them and reminds them that they need to look forward to the lord as their source of life as their source of living so we've seen several examples of how uh and these examples we've seen how we can honor God, and that's, that's really what he's doing. So the next thing here is honor God, and the next thing was to love others. So the next thing we see here is that we are to love others. And there's three primary examples in this text. And the first one's a touchy subject. It's a controversial topic, um, and it's, it's that of slaves. And it's, it's, an, it's an uncomfortable one. If you think about it in the United States, that's a four-letter word. That's not something we like to talk about, but it is in the text, and I'm not going to ignore it. Uh, so what I want to do is take a few verses from here, take a look at what it says, and then we can draw some application from that and some understanding of what the Bible's teaching here about this topic. Uh, 21 verse 2 says this, When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out and for free, go out free for nothing. uh, Chapter 21, verses 20 and 21, When a man strikes a slave, male or female, with the rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. Chapter 21, verses 26 and 27, When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of a slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. There were no dentists back then. Three things I think we can pull from these verses to understand what's being spoken about and taught here. Number one, we see that they're Hebrew slaves. So they were Hebrew slaves. They were their own people. And, 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 and more than likely, they were fulfilling a debt. They were fulfilling some sort of debt to these individuals, and they became their servants to pay back those debts. And that's what we can probably deduct from this as well as other passages. Number two, I think we can see here that it was not a permanent design. There was, he, the Lord wanted to create order around this, and he said, look, six years and that seventh year he goes free. And there was an option for that servant, that bond servant, that slave, to stay with the master if he decided to do so. So it was not a permanent arrangement. He wanted to make sure that his people were not stuck and they weren't staying there because it wasn't intended for them to be. And then third, we see that they were actually treated fairly. They were treated fairly. You know, in addition to a way out, there was actually laws specific to how they were being treated and what those results of that treatment was. He said if they knocked an eye or a tooth, set them free because now you're affecting the manner in which they can perform, so you need to now let them free. So there was uh, laws and protections around the treatment of the slaves. So, of course, the natural question is, is does the Bible teach and condone slavery? Does, does, the, the, does the Lord himself teach and condone slavery? Absolutely not. I don't think this text reveals that, and I don't think any other text that we see in the scriptures reveals that at all. And I think when we read the New Testament, there's no indication that this was something that was still allowed, permissible, or anything of that sort. And I think it's important for us to see that because, unfortunately, a lot of times people do look at the Bible and they say, Oh, well, the Bible says this, and it condones this, and it condones. It's not what the Bible's teaching. These laws were in place to create order and to ensure his people were set apart from other nations. Right? If you were to have a servant, this is how you are to treat that servant because other nations don't do it that way. And they treat him poorly and they treat him as property and they treat him bad. And that's not how I want you to be, God says. S- next thing we see here in respects of loving others is how they treat their neighbors. So there's a lot of instruction here on how they treat their neighbors. And he, he addresses several areas in respects to this. The first one here is, is under this idea of violence and murder. So there's a lot of laws he gives here regards to violence and murder. Chapter 21, verse 12 says that whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. 21, verses 18 and 19 says when men quarrel and one strikes a, a the other with a stone or with his fist and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. So there's levels of punishment for the level of violence. There's levels of punishment for the action one takes over his fellow man. And that's what we see here. It's clear from this example, from these, these verses and, and several others, particularly out of uh, chapter 22, verses 18 to 20, it's clear that there is a teaching on, on capital punishment for specific violations. And the Lord also addresses this idea of restitution. Restitution. So possibly the most memorable aspect of of the idea of restitution that we're familiar with, I'm sure, is it's found in 21, 23 to 25. Scripture says this, but if there's a harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Right? We've all heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We've heard that. Right? The general principle here is, is that as a people set apart, there needs to be a, an idea of fairness. It's really about fairness and, and consistency in how we treat people. Right, Today's culture, you think about it, you've seen people who get rich by slipping in the supermarket. Because what do they do? They, they try to take that supermarket down and somehow that slip and fall and their broken ankle is worth billions over their lifetime. That doesn't seem fair. Right? The idea here, and it says it right there, if, if I'm out of work for a week, you pay me for the week I'm out of work. That's what it's teaching here. That's the idea of fairness, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Right? They, they try not to only sue the company and get what they were owed, but then they try to do more. I want to get mine. Right? I want you to, to pay my bills for the rest of my life. And that's not what God intends of his people. Right? The idea that if I lose my day's wages, you pay me a day's wages. That's the idea of fairness here. That's what we see here. And there's obviously a lot in this section. It's a long section. We won't spend too much more time there. Um, and That's the general principle we see here. There's also time in in chapter 23 regarding this idea of of handling of legal issues. And he he spends a lot of time there as well. So um, in, in, in that section, too, it seems like he's actually addressing those who are doing the judging, making sure that they are being fair in how they're judging others, too. And then finally, in relation to the neighbors, we see some instruction on how people are to treat the vulnerable. So there's also now this, this extra added area of the vulnerable. The Lord has very stern words on how you to treat those who are, are less able than you are. Verses uh, 21 through 24 read this way. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat him and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Second ago, I said there were some stern words about how we're to treat the vulnerable. And those were those stern words. Think about the, the ministry of the New Testament saints. Think about Jesus himself. He illustrates that throughout his ministry and how he treated the sick, the unclean, the Samaritan woman, women in general, children. Right? He, he, he spent time with these individuals. He showed how much he cared for them because they were less than others in the, in the, in the eyes of society. And we see this principle played out in the early church. Acts chapter 6, the institution of deacons, was all around this idea that the widows and and the orphans were not being treated fairly, and they weren't getting what they needed, so they instituted a process to allow them to be cared for. James, in chapter 2 of his epistle, speaks about this idea of partiality and how how the the church there who he was writing to were, were being impartial, and showing partiality to the rich over those who were oppressed and over those who were poor. So we see this played out so many times throughout the entire New Testament in addition to what we see here in this text. So of course, this, uh, so far today, I know we've talked about a lot so far. We've talked about as a people set apart, we're to honor the Lord. And then we, we've also just talked about how we're to love our neighbors and those neighbors include all of those subsections we just talked about. And the next thing here uh, was, is to respect property. So there's an entire section, um, and it speaks to just respecting one another through respecting their stuff and respecting their property. And this is illustrated in several ways. One of them is by, by respecting their land, right? When we respect the land of others, we're... We're illustrating that we care enough about them and the hard work that they do to maintain that land. Here's an interesting I, I thought here, too, is he's speaking about all these things, but they're still sojourners. They're still wandering. They, they haven't even gotten to their land yet. So this is almost even as a, as a he's like, remember, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to provide for you these things. So when you do have your possessions, when you do have these things, this is what I need you to do to be a people set apart. So I found that to be interesting and a good reminder that not only are they going to get that land, but now they know how to handle and take care of that land and in, 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 in whatever possessions they might have at that point. Chapter 23, as a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 23, we see that God does, in fact, give them kind of a, a reminder and a promise of that covenant that they will, in fact, get that, that land, and they're going to have to go get it as you are probably very familiar, they have to go and get it from the Canaanites. But he's already telling them here in chapter 23, he's going to do that, and you're going to have that land. It's going to be in your possession. And here's an example of, of one of these laws that's related to the land in chapter 22, verse 6. He says, if a fire breaks out and catches in thorns that, that the stucked grain or the standing grain on the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restoration. So he's saying, if you mess up somebody else's land, you are responsible for taking care of it. You are responsible for taking care of it. There's a, an emphasis in this entire section on just this idea of personal responsibility, taking ownership. As a manager, uh, when I was training young supervisors and young leaders, I used to tell them all the time, "It's like just take ownership. If there's an issue that comes to you, handle it it's right then and there. Don't wait till tomorrow." Don't wait till next week. Handle it right then and there. Tells the employee that they're important enough to you to take care of their issue, and then you don't have to worry about it next week, and it doesn't get bigger and bigger. That little snowball effect, right? There's 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 principles in there that we can take. The next thing we see here is the responsibility of of taking care of the cattle, right? Their own cattle, the cattle of others, right? So cattle, we see examples here of donkeys and oxen, and if you Know that uh, culture, and and if you have ever been in a farm country, the, you know these animals are not just animals; they're not pets, right? We don't call Fluffy the cow to come over and play fetch, right? It, it, they're not pets; they they're working; they're functional, so they're not they're very important to their livelihood as a whole, and that's what we see here. So there's an extreme warning about that in chapter 22, verse one. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So he's setting specific rules because he realizes and understands that these are important aspects to their overall livelihood. And the respect of others and the respect for their property is important. And we see that here. The next thing we see is the property of others. Uh, chapter 22, verse 14 Offers this scenario. He says, if a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. Right? So there's like this idea of community. I'm going to, you know, let me borrow this, let me borrow that, and then it's my responsibility to bring it back the way I received it. Right? Just like as a rental company, you rent a car, your responsibility is to bring it back the way you received it. it it's, it's really that simple. So we've seen this morning that, that we demonstrate how we are a people set apart by how we honor God, love others and respect property. And I think what this helps us to do is understand and remember that just being a people set apart is not just about being branded as a Christian, Jewish, you know, it, 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 That's not what makes you set apart. It's what you do, it's how you, you act as a people set apart and that's why he's setting all these rules to help us to see how he expects his people to act. And that's what we'll see here as we close our time together. Chapter 24 gives us a little bit of insight. These first 8 verses we'll read again and then we'll kind of close with some application, some additional implications for us. Verse 1, then he said to Moses, "Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, nadab and abihu and 70 of the elders of israel and worship from afar moses alone shall come near to the lord but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come with him moses came and he told all the people of the words of the lord and all the rules and the people answered with one voice and said all the words that the lord has spoken we will do and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and he uh, rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and which, it went in 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of, of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and he put it in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people and they said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. I was going to use part of that as my in the bag this morning. I was going to grab some blood and just, I didn't think that was going to go over well. So I had to rethink it last minute. God, is using this and and, and twice in that section we saw that the people said I will do what you have said and if again you're familiar with the story you know it's not exactly true that's not exactly true so in this section of mine let's discuss these implications for me first thing we see here is that people who are set apart what they must do is they must hear the word they must hear the word and that's what we saw here we saw that they heard the word but what we saw first was that Moses received it Moses received the word, and then Moses gave the word to the people. And we know from the scriptures as a whole that hearing the word is critical, primary, incredibly important to our faith. Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. He makes it very clear that we must hear the word of God to have faith. And you see, so when we hear the word of God, he speaks to us through that word. And we have to, of course, respond to that. And one of those responses is this next uh, thing here, which is to agree to the word. We have to believe what we're hearing. We have to agree to what the word is saying to us. So appearing, uh, upon hearing the word, the, the people of Israel, they said, I agree. I will do what you have said to do. We will be obedient and so this was, this was part of this covenant, and this is important. That's why there was this crazy blood altar sacrifice thing going on because that was actually part of this covenant, God's agreement to his people and the people's agreement to God. And that's what we see here in this promise. So they were agreeing to this promise, to this agreement with the Father. That's what they were doing in this section. That's why we saw the, the ritual, the offerings, and again, it, it's a connection now. God is saying, this is my part. This is what I'm asking you to do to be set apart as my people. And now you are to agree to that. And then finally, we need to commit and then do the word. We have to commit and then do the word. And I think that's, that's where the problem is, right? It's very easy, and most of us are capable of making a verbal commitment. Most of us are capable of making a verbal agreement, The problem is that that can easily go astray very quickly. Even today, I hope not, but but even today, one of us might leave here after saying amen and amen, and I agree, and we leave, and that verbal commitment stays. And that's what we are hoping does not happen. So making a profession of faith requires action to be taken. This Bible, the Bible teaches us that, that others will know that we belong to Jesus because of what we do, how we act, what we do with our faith. So what we see in our passage today, we see that, that in the, the latter part of chapter 24, Moses goes up per the instructions of the Lord, and that's the example that we should be following. And again, this is where the kind of the rubber meets the road. As one of my favorite teachers, Jay Vernon McGee, says, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you need to make that commitment that we spoke about this morning of not just a verbal commitment, but an actual commitment that that requires action from us, that we're going to go out there and do, not just say. It's very easy to say. And if we're going to be a people set apart, then we too must take that verbal commitment to that next step. We have to take that a step further, and then that comes further and further, and we in turn become a doer of the word like james brother of jesus spoke about so my my question to you as we close is will you be a doer of the word let's pray father this uh it's a challenging section of scripture and it does challenge us to think about who you are and your holiness and, and we recognize that we, we're not worthy to be in your presence, yet you invite us to be part of that. And, and you, you call us to be set apart. You call us to be holy. And you give us the guidelines on how to do that. And I know each and every one of us struggle to do these things every single day. But God, you are a God of mercy. You are a God of grace. And we're so grateful for that. Because I know each and every one of us in this room, we are are incapable of doing these things on our own. And that's why we rely on you so heavily, Father. So I ask, God, that you change the hearts of everybody here who might be struggling with something that is keeping them from being able to be set apart for you. And and I know, Father, that once that, that mold is broken and once you penetrate the hearts of your people, great, great things come from that. And that's what we're asking for, that you do great, great things through your people, penetrate the heart of each and every person that has been called to follow you. And I pray, God, these things and all these things, and I pray, God, that you just do a mighty work with everybody here and everybody listening. And I ask that in Jesus' name.